0: Hey folks. Welcome to the podcast. Today we're going to be talking to Pamela Morgan about a very important topic and that is how to leave your crypto assets, your Bitcoin to your loved ones after you pass away. There's some very thought-provoking things and things I never even thought about that I now need to implement myself. So I really hope you enjoy the podcast. I do have to say there was a slight bit of technical difficulties. We had a drop off about 45 minutes or an hour into the podcast and we came back in and and I did edit that. So you will notice that there's kind of a little break in the flow of the conversation. And there's also some sort of popping noise uh, on occasion on Pamela's end. I don't know why I didn't see it until post-production, but it's really not that big of a deal, but I do apologize for that. So anyways, I hope that you guys enjoyed the podcast. Please leave us a rating review on iTunes. Subscribe to us today and feel free to contact uh, either of us. And all the contact information will be in the show notes at the end of the show. So anyways, I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Did You Know Crypto Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking to Pamela Morgan. She's an attorney, educator, entrepreneur, and public speaker who has focused her law practice exclusively on Bitcoin and digital currencies since early 2014. Pamela, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: No, it's great having you here. And before we delve into the topic of crypto asset inheritance planning, I'd love to hear your bitcoin blockchain origin story like where did you first hear about it what kind of convinced you of its you know future potential and and what really uh, got you excited about it
1: um sure i i love to share this story um because i think it's common or more common than maybe you know i came across it in t- 2009 which is not really anyone i know um how i learned about about bitcoin specifically was i was speaking at a conference in Athens, Greece, in uh, November of 2013, I believe it is. And I was speaking at this uh, conference called Disrupt. It was actually called Disrupt Startup Scale-Up. And it was all about disruptive things that we can do, ways that we can change the system. And that really, really appealed to me because um, basically I, I... I've been dissatisfied with most systems uh, most of my life. I think that they can, you know, we can create systems that are much better and I think that, you know, when systems get kind of bloated and and um and we start protecting systems just for protecting system's sake, then we kind of lose touch with why we actually, you know, had the system in the first place. So, I'm at this conference and I'm speaking about entrepreneurship for people with disabilities. Um, With the idea being that often people that have disabilities have difficulty finding work, but if we can empower them and teach them how to open their own businesses and and teach them, give them resources for entrepreneurship um, not only can they support themselves, but often they can build really, really successful businesses and support a lot of other people. So I was speaking about that and of course, I'm attending the conference and I'm listening to these other speakers. And to be completely honest with you, I was bored out of my mind. Um, there were very few like truly disruptive uh, talks happening there. And I was like, this is like, I, I actually felt sad. I was like, no, this can't be like the pinnacle of of disruption. Um, there was someone there who was talking about electing Hillary Clinton in 2016 uh, in the US. And I was just like, you know, wh- whatever your politics are, um, no one can really argue uh, about Hillary Clinton's disruptive um, uh, uh, credentials. <laughs> you know, I mean, she's, she's pretty as status quo as they get. So, yeah, you know, I was, yeah, exactly. I, I was totally heartbroken. I'm like, no, this is so boring. And then a speaker got on stage and he started talking about Bitcoin. And that speaker was uh, Andreas M. Antonopoulos, which I'm guessing that many of your listeners. No. And I'm also guessing that many people kind of uh, stumbled upon Bitcoin by finding one of his, his videos or attending a talk or something like that. And so that was me. I was sitting in the audience and I was listening really, really carefully to what he was saying. Uh, My background, I have a law degree and I'm licensed to practice law in two states in the US, but my bachelor's degree is in business administration and computer programming. And so as I'm sitting here listening to this guy eloquently talk about the potential of Bitcoin changing the world, I remember getting chills. And I remember thinking, if half of what this guy says is true, this thing could actually change the world. And... I was so excited by it that I left that conference with, with this, this new toy, this new thing, right? To, to kind of explore. And ideally, that's what happens when you go to a conference or you go to a meetup. You know, you're, you're inspired and you're excited about something. And so I left that conference and uh, long story short, two months later, I quit my full-time job and decided I was going to make a career for myself in Bitcoin. And I've been working in it ever since.
0: That's quite a, quite a bold decision.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I come from um I come from entrepreneurship. You know, both of my parents are are entrepreneurs. Um, you know, it kind of runs in my family and I I couldn't help it when I saw the potential. Like it seemed to me at the time and and honestly it still does that Bitcoin actually has the potential to change systems in a meaningful way. And I know I kind of talked a little bit earlier about systems, but I think, you know, like bureaucracy and systems tend to really keep people down a lot of times, even though that's not the intent and they become so bloated um, that they stop providing their actual function. And, you know, a lot of my lawyer friends and and colleagues say, well, you know, we're going to go inside these systems and we're going to fix them from the inside. (laughs) And I, I mean, I can't, I try not to laugh. But the reality is, you know, systems don't work like that, right? And so um, for a long time, I felt pretty frustrated that I I wasn't able to kind of make the change that I wanted to make in the world. And with Bitcoin, I think it actually gives all of us the opportunity to to make real change because it's such a different system, because it's a peer-to-peer system, because we don't have to ask permission from gatekeepers. That gives us the freedom to make Real change and to create real systems that work for real people, not perfect systems, right? Because that doesn't exist, but just alternative systems, things that that we can experiment in ways that you know, big, big bureaucracies can't experiment.
0: No, and I, and I would uh, totally agree in in terms of systems. I think that once a system gets to a certain size, um, they they change for the worse slowly um, from the inside, and they. Usually, only change from the outside, or they only usually change in a kind of meaningful way. Uh, usually, in large spurts from from outside uh, actors. Yeah. So I, I yeah yeah the 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 argument of of working from the inside, I guess, has I mean, some people can point to some some merit to it, but I think it's usually outside influences that kind of force the hand of whatever system that you're looking at to actually have to change. You know, in a, in a sort of adapt or die situation.
1: Yeah, I I absolutely agree. And, you know, you see this a lot with small businesses and you see it a lot when you start with an entrepreneur who then grows their business and grows their business and they get funding. And when they get funding, they tend to bring in a lot of outside people and the culture starts to change and then it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And and often, you know, the founder's original vision gets lost um, because then it becomes all about making money and market share and all of these other things. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not suggesting that you know people shouldn't make money or you know build good companies, but I think that you know the balance when you're dealing with a small organization is there. You know, maybe you've got, you know, 70/30 or 60/40 kind of balanced with values first and then making money second. And somewhere along the line it kind of it kind of flips. So yeah, I mean that's one of the reasons why I I love this industry and why I'm so interested in in dedicating my career to to Bitcoin and other open public blockchains.
0: At Google, I think is a good example of that. I mean, very yeah. early on, technically still, their motto is you know um, uh, do no evil. If I it might be par- paraphrasing that a bit, but uh, I think they've kind of uh, gone a little bit beyond that and and are kind of now you know part of the systems and they're they are. Uh, beholden the shareholders are no longer kind of a startup you know yep. kind of bootstrapped company that's that's kind of out to change the world they've already changed the world and now they're trying to keep the world as it is that yes. they've now changed
1: well and i think that's a really interesting point right because like once you have something you want to keep it um and i'll i'll i just want to jump in with one little thing you know i think that you're right uh i think the motto was like don't be evil and um my colleague who is now my colleague, uh, Andreas, I think said, um, you know, with, with Bitcoin, what we're creating is can't be evil, right? So that's the beauty of, of immutability. That's the beauty of this system is that you can't change it to be beholden to, uh, shareholders because there are no shareholders. And I think that's the fundamental difference. And I think that's also, uh, encompasses the promise of this technology.
0: Yeah. It's, uh. It's it's a neutral medium, right? It's it's however the sure. individual, right? Uh, there's no person that can gain control of it to use the whole entire system for evil. Just only what they themselves are have control of. Yes, uh, and I, I think that's a very important distinction between that and kind of how current systems are, where the whole thing can be hijacked to do evil at a large scale, where the only way that any sort of meaningful way that bitcoin could be used to be evil is only the small part of it that small individual can gain control of
1: yeah I, I think that's a i think that's a really interesting point um because that that's the benefit of of getting rid of centralization right and and quote unquote proof of authority um you know when you vest when you vest people with authority they, they inevitably become corrupted um at, at some level and so i think it's exciting to work with a system that doesn't have that characteristic Yeah. No. At least minimizes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe that's too strong of a statement. Maybe let me back up on that. Maybe you know. Yeah. It isn't a isn't a fundamental part of it right now.
0: I'm I'm kind of an extremist by nature, so I'm kind of very much a kind of a crypto utopian as far as for uh, where I see the world heading and what this technology can offer. So I'm one of those people that somewhat at at times needs to be reminded to to back myself down just a little bit, and that not (laughs) everything's going to be you know uh, sunny skies constantly, but I really think that this gives us the, the greatest chance of achieving something close to what futurists have been kind of hoping for, for a long time.
1: I, I, I do too. And I, and I think on the same level, um, it, it could also result in like the dystopian future of sci-fi. Right. Oh, and yeah, so, yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. The, the, that's he, the, the 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 really interesting thing about this technology is it, it's got the potential to do both like Bitcoin itself can't, but, the copy and paste of that technology with a few things added to it could very well uh, be exactly what we are trying to strive not to achieve
1: and, and that's why I think it's so important for people who you know share this vision and and share this idealism to do what they can to work in the industry. Um, you know, and I know a lot of people don't have a lot of, of free time, but you know, without without those voices, <laughs> like I, I, I don't want to get like too melodramatic here, but um, but you know, I, I do see this right, like right now as this opportunity to shape the future. And I think it's important to have the voices for people who wanna see a future with freedom. Um, with financial freedom, with with freedom that we don't otherwise have, you know, not all about surveillance, not all about control, but really focused on on individual empowerment and freedom.
0: And that's why I kind of enjoy. Although a lot of people consider crypto, Twitter, or just Twitter in general to be kind of a cesspool, <laughs> yeah. but I do really enjoy at least the the crypto side of it. Uh, you know, outside of the wind, moon, and Lambos and all that, but. The actual kind of like real discussions about, you know, governance models and things like that. And a lot of them I don't think necessarily are going to work within the blockchain crypto sphere per se. But just the exploration of governance models is maybe not working for, you know, a blockchain project, but something, maybe a way to shape society and and just just the different ideas and kind of bouncing them around. I really do enjoy it. I like kind of running around because I I think it's good that we are having these discussions now and kind of shaping the space very early on because in 20 years i think it's going to look a lot lot different and a lot of the people i think that make their you know that put in the work now i think are gonna are you know and and have the right kind of vision i i hope that they are able to you know shape this vision in the future
1: yeah well i think we all can you know that that's the exciting thing is that we we actually can and you know Many people have been having these sorts of discussions for, for decades, right? But it's just now that we are at a place with technology that we can actually see that kind of last mile, right? We're, we're kind of seeing technology develop yep. in so many different areas. And, and it's kind of, in my view, it's kind of now or never, right? Yep. Um, and I just, I just want to clarify, when I say like work in the space, I don't necessarily mean like go get a job and work for a company. I mean, participate, make your voice heard you know, go on, on Twitter, go on Reddit, you know, kind of be out there, support, support, um, projects that you think are valuable, you know, like that kind of stuff. It doesn't mean that you have to quit your full-time job too. Although I will tell you, um, it's really awesome, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's also kind of scary.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, I envy you. I think a lot of people do, but it, you know, it's also, you know, quite a bit of, uh, it's quite courageous actually to do that nowadays most people kind of just stick with with what's safe and and are quite happy with that but i mean yeah i think even if you don't want to do that you know something as simple as just asking your local coffee shop or you know restaurant hey do you take crypto uh you you know and then if they're interested you know just keep on asking them right um and eventually you won't be the only one who is and and you might be that catalyst for that one person that two people that three people yeah and I, i think that's I mean, that's kind of that guerrilla work that needs to be done. Doesn't seem very important at the time, but if, you know, a million of us are doing that constantly, totally, uh, it really has a, a network effect kind of on society as a whole.
1: Well, and even if you're not asking them, you know, do you take Bitcoin, but, but in the hopes that they will, right? Getting them to actually know someone or see someone, like put a, a face and a name with, this thing that is kind of crazy right because we kind of forget in this industry that you know most people really don't have a good understanding of of what this is right and all they're hearing is mainstream you know media being like oh terrorists and drug dealers bad things you know and we're like wait a minute um i don't do any of that and pretty much no one i know well
0: we've added tulip yeah yeah
1: yeah exactly right and oh it's all about
0: now now we're too
1: and like It isn't, you know, for a lot of us, it isn't. And so I think even just having, you know, basic conversations with people is, is absolutely useful. The other thing I think, um, that people forget about is, you know, meetup.com. There are Bitcoin meetups Mm -hmm. all around the world and you can go and meet, you know, like minded people there. And if there isn't one, you can actually start one. Um, and I, I co founded the meetup in Chicago. Uh, called Bob, which is the Bitcoin and Open Blockchain Meetup, uh, and me- you might have uh, heard of my co-founder, Bitcoin Mom. She's rad, and uh, she and I were.
0: Oh yep, yeah. Yeah. So
1: she and I were in Chicago, and there were a couple of other meetups, but they weren't actually having meetups. <laughs> like they weren't actually meeting up, and so she and I were like, "Well, this sucks. There's no community here." Um, you know, we want to nerd out. We want to talk to other people about this stuff. And, you know, Chicago, oh my gosh, like there, ha- there should be a community here. And so she and I just decided to start a meetup and we contacted the other organizers and said, hey, listen, you know, you're, you're welcome to come. You're welcome to, to do what you want to do. And, you know, we'll cross promote your events, but we're going to have this meetup and we're actually going to meet and we're going to meet twice a month. Once we're going to do a social, the other one, we're going to do a workshop. And so at the workshop, people can come and actually learn something about, about the technology. And it's now one of the biggest meetups in the United States, for sure. I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, maybe 2,800 people. Um, 100- oh, wow, that's great. Yeah, I know. It's really great. I don't run it anymore um, because I'm now location independent. But um, you know, the, the Hannah and Mark and, and Ian and Ben have taken over and they've been doing a great job. Um, building the community and sustaining the community. And the reason that I'm talking about this is because we really went from almost no one. And when we had our first meetup, I think there were 12 people there, maybe 14 tops. And like, some significant others and kids were in attendance. Okay. So it wasn't like we had, you know, 20 crypto enthusiasts there, but you know, it's just a matter of having events and letting people know that you're interested in this thing and and kind of building community. And it can just happen as easy as that. So for anyone who doesn't have community, like I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to encourage you to, to explore that.
0: No, and I think uh, w- one of the really great things, although, you know, a little bit with the schisms and stuff like that, it, it's it's gotten a little bit different. But especially I remember back in 2013, 2014, uh, especially, it was, it's, a, it's a really warm and open community. If you come in and say, hey, I'm interested in this. It's not a bunch of people going, well, you know, sorry, you missed the boat, right? Or anything like that. It's, right. it's People are very excited to talk about it. I, w- I was just listening to a it was, I'm a little bit behind on Laura Shin's podcast, but she was talking to uh uh Melton Demures and Joe Carlson, mm-hmm. and they were talking about how different it is in this industry from other ones where in other industries, you know, after work, you go and you have drinks and you talk about sports, you talk about whatever. Um, But I can't remember if it was Jill or Melton, but they were saying, you know, when we go meet up after work for drinks, all we talk about is crypto for the rest of the night still.
1: Right. I mean, yeah, it's, it's. It can absolutely be all-encompassing for sure.
0: But actually, we should probably start talking about uh, uh, crypto asset inheritance. <laughs> and so I, I was, you know, doing uh, research prior to that, and I was looking up some stuff just on, you know, regular asset planning and and wills. And I was reading that it was about sixty percent of Americans, not crypto people, but just average Americans, lack a will or any kind of planning at all. And I'm willing yeah. to guess that that number is probably much, much higher for crypto owners, given our age probably skews a, a you know much younger. Absolutely. Um, so I was just wondering if we could just talk about basic wills, estate planning first, and then kind of roll into where crypto assets kind of have a unique little niche there.
1: Sure, I'd love to. Uh, so I, I think you're I think you're spot on. Um, our our industry does skew younger um, and more tech driven and that tends to be uh kind of people who aren't that interested in writing a will. Um but for e- there are a lot of people who are now getting into it who do have wills but haven't incorporated those assets into those wills. So we can talk a little bit about that. Um part of what I do let me let me back up for one quick second and just explain to you how I got into this because um I, I didn't actually start out wanting to do estate planning. <laughs> it kind of happened. So, when I started working in this industry, I was helping startups who were getting funding in cryptocurrency so they would get a bunch of bitcoin and then multisig was really not easy to use there weren't any nice wallets this is before copay this is before bitgo this is before all of them and um you know the user interface was was really not there and you had to do a lot in order to implement multisig. but i didn't understand why these companies who are getting you know funding in hundreds of bitcoin um, weren't doing that. And one of the reasons they weren't is because it, it wasn't important enough to them in comparison to like what their vision was for their company. So I started helping companies implement, um, governance processes, right. And part of those involved doing, um, process controls using the Bitcoin technology, right. So putting money in multi-sig and then to supplement that, let's say you have, uh, three principles, you have your CEO, your CTO and your CMO. Um, which is chief executive officer, chief technology officer, and chief marketing officer. So you have three people and you create a two of three multi-sig. What happens, so all all, all three of these people have keys and you only need two of them in order to move money. No one person can move money on their own. So what happens if your CTO gets a sweet offer from another company and decides to leave? What do you do? right? You have money locked into this multi-sig and now you have a, a key situation. So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with it if your CTO doesn't leave, but, um, you know, the, the building where they're storing their keys, something happens, there's a flood and they lost their keys and they lost their backups. Uh, so how do we create plans to, to ensure, um, that you'll actually be able to access your assets from a company perspective, and then how do we create plans for disaster recovery so that we're not dealing with catastrophic loss? So this, (laughs) you might might see how that kind of lends itself to inheritance planning, because what would happen is I would start this conversation with the founders. And then after we would create this plan, I would say, well, hey, by the way, how much of your net worth is in Bitcoin? And they would look at me like I had five heads and they would be like, all of it and i'm like okay well um we uh do you have family that you want to actually inherit this and they would be like oh my gosh and yeah so then and they would say i never thought of that and i would say okay well you know especially if you've got children or if you have a non-traditional family meaning um if you haven't married the person that is your partner uh legally married them you know you you they won't they won't be able to inherit any of your assets assuming they even could access your your crypto assets they wouldn't actually be able to inherit them so let's start talking about you know how we can make this happen and that's how i got into this it was it was purely organic it was it it wasn't intentional and then as i started talking to more and more people i realized that this is a big deal in our industry um you know people are getting into crypto and they're having a really great time and 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 all of a sudden we have a price run up and something that was play money, right? Is all of a sudden now 20, 30, 40, 50% of your net worth. And now you're like, oh my gosh, this isn't play money anymore. Like this could really change my family's life. And I want to make sure that they can access it. So that's how this happened.
0: Okay. And and so I guess that's kind of probably for most of us, I mean, we were talking a little bit before the we started recording, but... I myself had kind of recently been thinking about that and, and I'd started to put together uh, like, you know, some folders with just kind of the um, the forms for like the insurance and uh, all these different kinds of, you know, any kind of asset that I have, you know, the investments and, and crypto. But when I came to crypto, I was like, okay, I'm going to put down like the addresses it's at, but I was like, I don't want to put a word document and end up like some people on that we've heard about uh, in the Twitter sphere that, that kept their, you know, private keys on, on an open source or an open open document and lose all that stuff. So, so the question is exactly. like, what do I do? Do I put it in a safety deposit box? Do I break it up into multiple pieces and give it to multiple people? Um, I mean, how do how do what is, what is really the best way to kind of go about uh, kind of just putting all of our affairs in order and and getting these kind of crypto assets? Um, do, I mean, do you have like any specific recommendations for that, or just kind of like general ideas?
1: Uh, Absolutely. Um, To answer that question, I wrote a, let's see, 137 page book. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I don't mean to give you the, the lawyer answer, but the reality is there is no one plan that works for everyone because everyone's family is different. Everyone's situation is different. Let me give you an example. Some people that have you know, uh, Bitcoin or or other crypto assets live in the U.S. They live in an affluent neighborhood where there isn't, you know, a lot of crime. There isn't a lot of break-ins. Um, you know, they they have a safe home. They have a bank up the street that has a safety deposit box. They have no reason to think that, you know, the anyone is going to try to seize their assets. So for them, and and they have a traditional family. You know, they're they have you know, a a spouse and a couple of kids, and they're all biologically related, you know, the kids are related to the to the spouse. And, um, you know, it's a very kind of vanilla, leave it to beaver sort of situation, which is great for them. Um, They will require a bit less planning than someone who, for example, lives in a dangerous area, lives in an area where uh, there aren't banks that have uh, safe deposit boxes, or they live in an area where they do need to worry about government seizure um, for, for no good reason without due process. Or there's corruption. You know, we, a lot of times we forget that these assets are global in nature. And so to say that there is one estate plan that works throughout the entire world is, is naive at best, dangerous at worst, because it causes people to, to make decisions that maybe aren't actually safe for them. So what I do in the book is we start out with a get it done plan. And it's basically where you can sit down for one to two hours. So all you need to do is block out one to two hours, sit down with a book, and I take you through step by step of creating your initial estate plan for your crypto assets. Um, we talk about location. We talk about what you should put where. We talk about how you shouldn't ever um, write your seed words or your keys in your will. That is a terrible idea. And the reason is, in most jurisdictions, your will becomes a public record. And so, what happens is um, that document is submitted with the court and becomes part of the public record, meaning that anyone can search that document. Now you've got a race. And the race is your family who's grieving, who doesn't know anything about crypto, who doesn't know how to transfer your Bitcoin, doesn't even know that they're entitled to Bitcoin cash or Bitcoin gold or whatever else you decided to, you know, whatever fork you decided to take or not take. Um, Now you're dealing with a race between your family's understanding of crypto assets and what this actually means and someone who's scanning public records for cryptocurrency keys.
0: Yeah, I you know I hadn't even thought of that. You know, I imagine that is going to be coming up here probably uh some sort of you know for someone who's kind of scammy in nature to be doing is is going through and and just scanning public records to see if anything that shows up with the word private key uh shows yeah, up in, or, in in a doc search.
1: Yeah, or seed or twenty-four words. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, there are so many ways to do this. You know, you, you can create a, a, a pretty easy database of words, Trezor, Ledger, right? I mean <laughs> you, you can take kind of all the companies, Coinbase, all the companies that, you know, have, have wallets and kind of look through and 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 quickly look for those keywords. It's it's not something that you would even need a human to do per se, right? And so
0: and Oh, I'm sorry. You were saying?
1: No, no, no. Go ahead.
0: Oh, I was I was gonna say, you know, um, I, I didn't, you know, I know that the, the stuff in the book, we don't want to like throw it all out on just the podcast, right? So, but I did want to touch on, you know, with, with with smart contracts. I know you cover this in the book, but it, it just kind of, how do you see that kind of applying to the inheritance in the future? Is that going to be something that we can almost, in a way, almost automate? uh wills and and all these these types of you know basically the asset distribution after you after you pass
1: yeah this is this is a great question um and it's a really really common question so first let me let me touch on the first thing you said which is we don't want to give it all away Um, actually i've given a lot of the book away um because i believe in open source and so i'm one of the few lawyers who actually uh, licenses most of my work under a creative commons uh, open source license so you can see the, the beginning sections of the book and the get it done plan. Um, I've published a lot of that on Medium and on my website for people to kind of get their kind of get their head around it. And then if you like that, and if my writing style works for you, and if you feel like you're making progress, then go and get the book and, and continue the process. Because what the book does is it starts with the get it done plan. And then it takes you through a really in-depth sure analysis, S-U-R-E, which is security, uh, usability, resilience, and efficiency. And we start to analyze every decision that you're making with that framework. And I kind of help you make your plan better and make your storage better and make all of the things that you're doing both more secure, but also more usable by the people who will inherit your assets and, and make sure that we have resiliency and efficiency as well. So, um, you know, I'm probably the only person who's like, don't buy my book. First, go and look at the free stuff. But, you know, that's my nature. I want, I want people to actually get value out of it. And what I really, really want is for people who buy the book and look at the materials to do something. Like, if you don't do something, your loved ones will not be able to inherit these assets. So I don't want my book to be the barrier, you know, between you paying for my book and, and your family not inheriting your assets. I I don't really think that's a good way to go. So that's why I've made a lot of this stuff available um, for free. So,
0: no, and I, I, oh, I I was going to just say that uh, I'm kind of one of those people that also, I don't don't know if you want to call it the law of attraction or whatever it is, but uh, just from looking at people that I I respect and, you know, do everything from podcasts to writing to whatever, uh, I, I see that a lot of these folks, what they do is they put out everything for free. Yeah. And it's available if you want to take the time to do it, but they also offer a product. If you don't want to spend, you know, 15 hours searching through, you know, this podcast or that medium article or, or this thing on the site, if you just want a nice concise thing, then, you know, people are willing to do that. And also they're willing to do it as well, just as a, as a thanks for all the information you already have given them. Yep. Some of them already have that information already, but they're just like, Hey, thanks. Yeah, And I, I do think that it's kind of like a new, you know, a new way uh, that that's kind of just been developing over the last 10 years, along with the gig economy and and just kind of like a new a, a new economic model in a way, I guess, for content creators, which I, I really kind of enjoy a lot more than the old, you know, subscription buy my book to find out my secrets. Sort yeah, of thing.
1: absolutely. Well, and a, and a lot of times, you know, you buy the book and you're like, wait, this doesn't like it, it doesn't work for me. Right. For whatever reason, this person's voice is you know, annoying, meaning the way that, you know, the writing style doesn't work for you or, you know, it just doesn't gel. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I I'm a big fan of, of making sure that people, you know, get value. I really, really care about people getting value. And I really, really care about people's families being able to inherit, um, these crypto assets. Cause I kind of feel like everyone in this industry, like if you have any Bitcoin or ether or any other cryptocurrency, like at some point in your life, a family member or a friend has been like, what are you doing? Like, that's ridiculous. Right. And so like, (laughs) they've kind of been judgy on you. Um, and I feel like, you know, you, you're, you're a risk taker, like you're in this at at the beginning. And I think we're still, you know, in the beginning, although I guess some people would disagree. So yeah, I, I think it's important that, that, that your family is actually able to what, see that you're right. I don't know. Um, is, is able to, to, to take advantage of, of, of your foresight.
0: So um, I was actually, uh, it, I want to talk about the smart contracts thing again, but this just a, yep. something popped in my head and, and the fact that you, you, you left your job. And I imagine that I, I'm going to be talking to a, a, another guest tomorrow about something, a, a different field, but kind of a similar thing and that they kind of took, you know, very early on, they got into to Bitcoin and they got into crypto Before, I mean, even in 2013, we think that that was such a long time ago, but it was such a small community then. And it really didn't even have any kind of like, other than a few time articles, any kind of public knowledge about it, other than the run up to a thousand. And it's kind of a a big, you know, reputational risk to Mm -hmm. go in on something that majority of people in the majority of professions basically kind of looked at is, as at best, just a bunch of internet nerd money. And at worst, you know, something that only people who buy drugs off the internet and are kind of, you know, iffy in nature are going to (laughs) participate in. So I, did you experience anything like that from, from people in the, you know, in the legal profession, you know, your peers kind of going like, what are you doing? Why are you getting involved in this?
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. I, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely heard a lot of that and like, wait, what you're doing, what? Why are you doing that, you know? But um I think I had an advantage in that I really really looked at the technology and how the technology works, like what is it that makes bitcoin immutable? What is it that makes this ledger unchangeable? How does this thing actually work at its core? And I'm certainly not a developer and I'm not, you know, a core developer, but I thought it was really really important to understand the technology and what its limitations are and how it works. Before I kind of made that leap, so when I, you know when I made the leap, I was confident. <laughs> I was like, you know, you guys don't see this, and it's a giant experiment, and it might fail, but it also might succeed, and this is the, this is the vehicle to the future that I want to live in, and so I'm going to be part of it. I, I don't know how I'm going to be part of it. I don't know what kind of part I'm going to play, but I, I, if there's anything that I should be spending my time and, and effort on in my opinion, you know, it's this. And so that's what I would tell them. And so, of course, you know, they knew me. So it was, it, they kind of had, you know, cognitive dissonance because they're hearing like a uh, Bitcoin, you know, Silk Road and, you know, it's only used for, you know, killing people and all these bad, bad things. And, and, and of course, you know, none of that was true anyway, but, um, but yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, but this is what they're hearing. And then they look at me and they know me. And they're like, wait a minute, but you're not this. And so what am I missing? And it actually gave me an opportunity to talk to people, um, and in in a way that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to talk. So, you know, none of them joined me in my quit your job and come and work in this industry. Um, however, uh, like many of us, uh, 2017 brought a lot of calls and a lot of emails and a lot of texts yeah. and a lot of messages and like, Hey, so you're smart. You got into Bitcoin early, you know? And, um, and the reality for me is that I, I quit my full-time job. And for anyone who started a business, you know, you know, that basically the first couple of years you're not making money. So the Bitcoin that I made, you know, I sold to pay bills and I, and I don't begrudge that at all you know, I, I, I took a chance and I did what I needed to do. You know, I'm not a Bitcoin millionaire, but I'm a, I'm a happier (laughs) meaning that, you know, I work, I, I do work that I love. I work with people that I love. I feel like I'm doing something meaningful. Uh, and I think that that's all anyone could really ask for, you know, I have enough money to, to, to pay my bills and do what I need to do. And, and I've created a life that, that makes me really happy. And I think that that's the beauty of this of this technology that it allowed it allowed me to do that, and many other people who I know, you know, that work in this industry have been able to do that as well.
0: Yeah, I think um, it, it's really interesting, and in that that I kind of have been able to do a lot of side gig stuff. Like, I'm not a programmer. I'm I'm learning. I'm teaching myself how to do that, but I'm, I'm at probably uh, a a toddler level. All of right. of uh, under, understanding the language, yeah, um, and and mostly I was doing that was just so I could actually understand the nuts and bolts of the tech, right, and and kind of get where when developers have opinions on this or that, where they're coming from. But but anyways, I mean, there's a lot of work for people that teach themselves coding, and I'm gonna absolutely, it's one of the things I'm gonna try to push on my children is to learn how to do that. But even outside of that, you know, if you can put together a few words and you can write halfway decently. Uh, You know, I I was finding side work, looking around, you know, different, you know, different, uh, uh, you know, blockchain startups and, and coin projects and whether or not you agree with that project's uh, vision or, or longevity, a lot of them are offering, you know, bounty campaigns, you know, write documentation for us or create these infographics or something like that. And I find a lot of like little gig work all over the place. It's not enough for me to, to quit my, my full-time job on, uh, as of yet, but it's definitely a good supplemental income to pay down, you know, mortgage and, and things like that. And, and I really enjoy this space and that's just so kind of, I don't want to call it wild west cause that has bad connotations generally, but oh, yeah, I don't know what a better way to put it is that, I mean, there's just stuff out there. And if you just want to go out and grab it, you, you can, yeah. um, that's what I really enjoy about this space so far.
1: Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. There there are lots of opportunities here, and and you can actually you know make your own opportunities, which is effectively what I've done. <laughs> by, yeah,
0: no, exactly. By
1: focusing on inheritance planning, um, b- mostly because no one else was doing it. You know, every everyone else wants to wants to do some. You know, some smart contract amazing um we'll get, we'll get back into to the, the question that you asked me earlier about smart contracts and you know a lot of people are are really excited about the potential of the technology and I am too um, and they want to kind of work on futuristic stuff and that's great um but right now w- we need something that's going to help us today <laughs> and uh, none of those projects are viable um and I know that's a big statement, <laughs> but uh, but I stand by it. Um, I, I think that none of those projects are are viable to help most families uh, in in a meaningful way. So earlier you asked me.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, in, in the now, yeah, um, they don't need. They don't. You know, there a lot can happen in one three, five, 10 years, whenever it's going to take to actually kind of really get all the bugs out. And this is not something that you want to leave up to. This is probably good enough sort of code. Yeah,
1: that's, so so you hit on one really, really good point, which is, um, you know, when we're doing a a simple transaction, it's short in time, right? So if the software doesn't act as expected, um, you know, we we know kind of right away um, and hopefully we can try to fix it. With estate planning, um, you know, often in traditional estate planning, you often write a will and then your client won't revisit their estate planning for decades. And so you get this will that is effectively atrophied, meaning they'll say, oh, I leave my, you know, whatever a Tahoe to my cousin and like they haven't had a Tahoe in 10 years. Um, they'll say things like, you know, I leave my house located at at this, at this place, which you can't actually leave a house in this way, but, um, you know, I'll leave my house located in this place to these three people. And one of them will have already passed away. Um, so this is really, really common in, you know, traditional estate planning. There are a lot of things that can go wrong. The least likely thing to go wrong is asset distribution. meaning. Once we know who should get the assets, that's the easiest part. The difficulty is in families. Often there is an argument as to who should get the assets, and so I hear a lot of people talk about um, about you know smart contracts being able to just distribute those assets to your three best friends, and that's it, and nobody can you know nobody can do anything about it, right? This is this is the utopia that we hear about. Yep. yeah so yeah. what how does that actually play out let's talk this through so how that actually plays out is you leave all of your crypto assets to your three best friends but the law doesn't recognize your three best friends as heirs of yours nope so who are your heirs according to the law well they're probably your your parents or your siblings or someone else who is blood related to you. If you don't have any blood relations, you're the last person. Um, Ultimately, in most states in the United States, those assets will then escheat to the state. We use the word escheat um, to mean uh, the state will actually have legal ownership of them, okay? So you're like, that's okay, it doesn't matter. Because if the state has legal ownership of my property, but I actually gave my crypto to my three best friends. They'll never know, right? So, so this is what 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 I hear often. The reality is that the state has an interest in getting the value. So even though they might not be able to get the Bitcoin from your friends, what they could do if they could prove that that this transfer actually happened, which you know, if you're using Coinbase or another. Um, KYC, AML, Identity Exchange, uh, they do have records on you know what you have and distributions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so basically what would happen is while the state couldn't get your Bitcoin, what they would do is sue your three best friends for the value. So they would put a lien on their home. They would try and get them to sell their car, you know. So basically, even though it is true that, that the state or your heirs, the rightful heirs couldn't actually force someone to transfer the Bitcoin to them, they could for all of the assets that are in the quote unquote, you know, real world, all the tangible assets they own, they could create effectively a lawsuit against your friends and get the value. And maybe they don't get the whole value. But maybe it's super annoying and it lasts a couple of years or decades even for your friends. And you end up creating this big problem that you could actually fix with a simple will. If you say in your will, I want you know, these people to get these assets, in most jurisdictions, not all, but in most jurisdictions, um, the court will honor what you say in the will. So you could actually prevent lawsuits. You could prevent problems by simply having a will.
0: And and who's to say that if you had some sort of smart contract sort of deal, that one those addresses that your, you know, your your best friends who knows how good that they are that they even provided you the the good Bitcoin address that they even have access to anymore, or that they might yes. have lost their own private key and then now you've just sent them, yeah, you know, say. It's accrued to a point where your hundred dollars in, in investments now worth a million dollars, and now it goes to a private uh, or a, yep. an address. That guy lost his private key because he's a numbskull, and and now you've yeah. basically opened him up to litigation, probably. And and with an open public blockchain, yeah, if it's it doesn't necessarily attach a name to it, but if a, a little bit of digging and it's not that hard to do, unless people are extremely careful. That there's probably a good chance that somehow they can be linked back at some point to that address, and I, I I completely agree. I think that the governance models are just not we 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 haven't figured out how to do something as complex as as this uh, uh, through a smart contract per se, and it's probably best left to the, the the meat space more than the digital space.
1: Well, you brought up such a such a good point, which is. Um, one of the reasons that I focus on the, the things that I do in this industry is because I believe that the key, pun intended, (laughs) I suppose, um, to, to, to the future that we want to build involves education and having people understand and know how to manage their own private keys. And so you brought up such an, such an important point. Many of the smart contracts require you, right? If you're going to transfer assets, you have to transfer them to an address. And presumably the person has to have the key behind the address. The problem is that most of my heirs and probably most of your heirs don't understand how to protect those private keys and they don't understand how to use them. And so in a lot of these platforms, we're actually trusting the platform itself to generate the key and then to um, provide that private key in some way to the heir Um, which I'll just, let's just talk about spam filters for one second. So, um, you know, some of these, some of these platforms say, well, you don't have to tell your heirs that they're going to get the cryptocurrency. Um, we're just going to notify them after, you know, the, the X amount of time has happened and our dead man switch triggers, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's great. So you're relying on my mother's spam filter. To not, to not like, it's, it's absurd when you actually look at how it works in the real world, like from, um, from an ideal perspective, yes, this is awesome. We absolutely want these sorts of things and we absolutely want these sorts of solutions. So I don't want people to think that, you know, I'm not an advocate of, of using smart contracts. I absolutely am. But from a practical perspective, when you look at your heirs and you look at the people who will be inheriting your assets. Most of them are not, are not savvy enough to do it. And we have to rely on so many other technologies like email, like SMS, et cetera, et cetera, that it's not safe to do that, in my opinion. That said, there are a lot of people who are super excited about testing this out. And I say, go for it. We need guinea pigs, (laughs) but it's not going to be my family and it's not going to be, you know, people that I care about and it's not going to be my clients because I don't think that the technology is there yet to actually handle real estate distribution in a way that doesn't a put the company, you know, the smart contract developer in the middle and make them the third party that we have to rely on or B can do it in a way that will actually be effective in most situations.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I I still get, even though I mean I, I understand the technology, I know that it's good. I, I even when I send any kind of transaction of, you know, of, you know, when it gets into larger sizes, I'm still double, triple, quadruple checking, and making you making sure that, that address is right? Yeah, a little bit and you push it and then you get checking the transaction ID yeah. and then you check in the block explorer. Yes. you know and then you're calling you're calling that other person go did you get it okay okay yep. good even though everything you know is going to work it's there's no reason that it shouldn't it's still it's, it's still so new and yeah. and that's very straightforward that's a very if then sort of sort of statement
1: yeah with well, smart
0: contracts you're just hoping that that developer did not put you know a parenthesis or a space or something wrong where you end up getting thousand bitcoins or whatever it might be locked up in this in this contract for forever
1: yeah well and that's the thing right it's the forever part you know and that's that's the danger i mean you know that that's that's the double-edged sword in this industry is like yeah
0: yeah there's there's nobody to unlock it right Right. nobody's gonna come
1: so it's really really important yeah no i mean so it's really really important that you can uh, even then i don't think that would happen again but um
0: no, I don't think so either. Is this more of a, just a little. No, joke? but
1: I mean, but, but that's the truth when you're looking at, you know, private blockchains, it's absolutely the truth when you're looking at, you know, DLTs and, and that sort of stuff. But, um, but, you know, the, the, the real issue is for me, the real issue is when your family is grieving, what, what, how can we help them access these assets with the least amount of headaches, with the least amount of hassle that will allow them to access them as smoothly and easily as possible and hopefully prevent them from getting the assets stolen. (laughs) So how can we, you know, how can we do this securely?
0: Yeah. And, and uh, there's, I think the best example of, of, you know, making sure that you have a plan in place was, I don't know what the value is now, but was it Matthew Mellon? Yeah, He was that gentleman who had at the time of his death, I think a half a billion dollars worth of XRP is probably yep. a little bit less now. But I mean, that's still a significant chunk of change Absolutely. that now. And and I haven't kept up with the story, so I don't know if they eventually ever found anything. But it seemed like, uh, at least with the lawyers and the family, they were saying that the, the, nobody knew what the private key was to his wallet. Like nobody has any idea yep. uh, what this is. I, I didn't. Was there any kind of happy ending the story is so aware of. the sad one that i'd read? not
1: that i'm aware of um okay. you know there there might have been but last i heard you know they were still trying to figure out uh, so this is this is one of the nuances of this area right so in theory um, your your private key can live you know maybe on your laptop maybe on your hardware wallet device maybe if you're using a hardware wallet you've backed up your seed and you have that seed stored somewhere Um, Maybe you have some some uh, currency on your phone. So, you know, a lot of it is about identifying where those keys might live. Because another risk is that your family wipes all of your devices. And then they don't actually have access. Or, you know, for some people, I, I personally do not want my family going through all of my stuff. Right. One of the reasons is because I have client information. And so, you know, that, that would be a breach of, of my confidentiality with, with my clients. So I can't have my family going through, you know, my laptop and all of that. So, you know, I have to have a disaster recovery plan for, for my client stuff too, that says, okay, you know, these people can access it, but those people can't. Um, and so I do basically the same thing, you know, with, with my crypto assets is you want to, you want to make sure you might not want to give your family your entire browsing history. Maybe you do. Maybe you want them to have all of your email and that's totally fine. But if you don't, you know, you need to make plans and, and and kind of think about your digital assets a bit more holistically. But yeah, you know, the, the issue is if your, your family could ultimately lose, you know, thousands, millions, you know, the-
0: Yeah. Cause we don't know what, what is the end going to be? Whether if you, you know, if you pass away in five years or in 30 years, I mean, we don't know where the price is going to go. I don't think too many people were thinking back when Bitcoin broke a dollar was five bucks a piece that it was going to get up right. to $20,000 at any time. And, you yeah. know, some people did. But, I mean, we don't know what it's going to be in 20 years. And you're, well, you know, I put a few hundred bucks or, you know, I put, you know, three, 000, four thousand dollars in, you know, in mid to yeah. 2017. I just kind of have it sitting there. Uh, you don't know. What that's going to be in twenty, thirty years? It, it may no longer be not that two to three thousand dollars is peanuts, but it might be life changing um, money,
1: right? If, and if depending on where you live, it is life changing yeah, money. Yeah. And and that's the other thing. You know, a lot of people think like, oh, I don't have enough, you know, crypto assets to actually do any planning. Like it's really not that much, and 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 then all of a sudden it does become, you know, quote unquote, that much. And it really, you know, it really could make a difference in people's lives. One other thing that we haven't touched on is you know, this idea of once your family does inherit or, you know, get access to um, your crypto assets, like what do they do with them? So, um, you know, in the US, your family members are going to have to probably open or what they'll probably elect to do is open an exchange account, put all of your, you know, all of your cryptocurrencies there. Uh, if you have, um, you know, uh, less known coins or you know maybe uh, your exchange maybe you have some some crazy coin that isn't act- actively traded you know you'll you'll shift it to a different coin um and liquidate so that involves you know taxation and it involves them doing KYC and AML and some people have family members who can't do that for whatever reason Right. And so these are kind of the nuances of thinking this through and talking about, you know, with with clients like, okay, well, what is your family situation? How does how does this actually play out? Um, And you need someone who can help walk them through that. So that's one of the quick and easy things that that you can do today is kind of identify who who do you trust to help your family? Not who do you trust and I'm going to give them my keys. But who do you trust that can help walk your family through the process of, okay, here are the keys. Now, what do we do? How do we deal with this? What are your choices? You know, do you want to try to get every single fork out there? Um, What is the cost associated with doing that? What is the time associated with doing that? You know, do you want to try to learn how to hold crypto assets? And surprisingly, I, I was surprised by this. Um... For the people that I've talked to that have had this actually happen, many of the heirs actually choose to hold some of the cryptocurrency. They're not actually liquidating at all. They're trying to learn. And I think it's out of.
0: Oh, that is very interesting.
1: Right. Um, I I, I think it's out of like sentiment. Um, You know, I think it's it's out of respect for the person and like they know that this you know these people are really into it and so they want to keep a small portion. So, you know, many of them are liquidating roughly about half, you know, paying off bills, doing whatever, and then they're trying to keep the other half. And so then we have an issue of teaching them how to actually hold these assets securely, right? Why they shouldn't be holding it on an exchange and teaching them all the ins and outs of of the risks and and that takes time. And most people aren't actually ready to have that conversation while they're still grieving. Right. It, it it takes a period of time for them to want to have these sorts of conversations. And so I think it's important that the plan that you create takes that into account.
0: Yeah. That's, that's actually a very good point. Cause I, I put, you know, basically uh, almost like a how to guide for, um, you know, some of the other stuff that I had with, um, Um, you know, the, the forms for like pulling out like the IRAs or the 401ks and, you know, here's the form you fill out, send this, just sign here and it's pretty much done or, and and in some of my crypto stuff, I kind of had, you know, this is how you access, you know, this device and, you know, this is how you access this other device and these, these sorts of things. But then I, I hadn't thought about that point of, okay, now they have access to the device. Great. They're still, you know whether it's a trays or or a, or a ledger or a keep key or whatever it might be. Now they've just got this weird little thing with a little screen that says some number on it um, yep. of some sort of crypto. So how, what do I even do with this thing? And I'm right. wondering if it, it, some sort of you know if you're comfortable doing videos yourself of these things, or I guess you know that's maybe even a um, a business that someone if you know for some entrepreneur out there to create some sort of you know, walking people through how to access these in some way where their private keys aren't exposed to this third party. But um yeah. to walk so, people through how to access these 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 funds.
1: There are quite a few people who are doing this not because they want to, but because they've had a a friend or a colleague who's passed and they know that the people that are that are left behind don't have a clue about anything, right? And so they've kind of reluctantly become the the helper. They've reluctantly become the person who helps the family and walks them through. And that is, that's beautiful. Um, the alternative is your family has this little device. And no matter what the instructions are that you've written, um, they probably can't follow them. Recently, um, are you a fan of, of Jameson Lopp by any chance? Do you follow him on Twitter? Yeah,
0: no, no. Uh, yep, I follow him on Twitter. I've okay. listened to... Uh, quite a few of his his interviews i've always been re- really impressed by him
1: so he posted this great article i can't remember what it was about but i'm sure it had something to do with security and and, and it specifically i think also inheritance planning estate planning um but at the end he he posted this amazing video to to illustrate the point that um that your family probably won't be able to follow your instructions and there's this great video of this dad who's got two kids and he's like okay kids Um, write me instructions on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And so they they try to write instructions on how to make the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And it starts out, you know, take, take two pieces of bread. So he takes two pieces of bread, spread peanut butter on bread. And so he doesn't open it. Doesn't like actually take the peanut butter out of the jar. He just takes the jar and just smashes the bread with it. Right. And the kids are like, no, no, that's not (laughs) what I mean. Right. But, but it really, really illustrates the point that we presuppose, we assume that people understand what we're we're talking about. And we have all of this knowledge. You have all of this knowledge of of crypto assets and how they work, knowledge that you don't even know that you know. And so when you start to write down instructions, um, it becomes very, very difficult to actually write down instructions that people can follow. So one of the things that some of my clients have done, um, I I encourage people to write kind of a letter to loved ones teaching them the basics of like what do they need to know you know what are the what are the currencies that you have not giving them um keys or seeds at this point but just kind of walking them through and talking about like where will they find things stuff like that so what some of my clients have chosen to do is do almost like a role play where they give their loved one typically they only do this with their spouse so give your spouse your instructions and pretend like you're not there and let them attempt to follow your instructions step by step and find out where that gap is, where the knowledge gap is. Also, that's
0: great. Yeah. Doing
1: this is super empowering for your spouse because many times, you know, your loved ones, they're intimidated by this technology. And even if you don't think you're an expert compared to them, you are. And so if you let them walk through it, then they feel like, okay, I can do this. And I, I just, I, I love it when people have relationships that, that they can actually, you know, do this. And again, it's not for everyone, right? I mean, um, not to be the typical lawyer, but, uh, what more than 50% of, of marriages end in divorce. So, you know, if you do this, um, you know, you could also be giving your spouse all your private keys, et cetera, et cetera. So you really have to be honest, um, with yourself about your relationship and, and, and hopefully, you know, you'll be, on the on the good side, but um, but yeah,
0: yeah, I've I've tried to uh, walk my wife through some of it, and and I I think that's that that's a great point, and that is something that I will uh, be doing here pretty soon because I was just great thinking that a lot of times when, you know, I think this is very common for people in the space that we kind of really do take uh, for granted, and I, I especially notice it when I am trying to explain not so much the basics. But kind of a little bit more of, you know, a little bit more kind of not advanced topics either. But kind of you know, kind of going beyond the beginner level and trying to get people to understand where you kind of go, like why why don't you get this? This this is just you know this makes perfect sense. And and but you know they're just kind of like not wait. So I you know I I, I put in this long string of numbers and then I put you know this kind of stuff and then I I put in some sort of password. Like is that the same thing? You know, and you right. You kind of realize that okay, wait, no, this is you know a little bit more. And you kind of forget that, that journey that you went on that took you you know, months and years to get to where you are now in understanding. And I think that's where we have a lot of work to do is to kind of really dumb, not dumb it down, but uh, come up with, and that's for more of the programmers and the people developing the tech, but come up with ways where we, we keep the, the privacy, we keep the immutability, we keep the security that the blockchain and Bitcoin offers but we also make it a lot easier. But until then, yeah, we kind of need to work with what we have. Exactly, which is we have to do these step by step. And, um, yeah, that's that's a, such a great, such a great idea. Because uh, I, I don't think I have anything in there on how to access a hardware wallet as of yet.
1: Right, right. Well, and and again, I think I think another, you know, to, to just reiterate, it's empowering for them. It, it gives them the opportunity to actually interact with this. You don't want your your spouse to touch your hardware wallet for the first time when they're grieving. Like that is a terrible idea Um, because the likelihood is they're a not going to be able to do it. And then what do they do when they can't do it? First of all, they put it down, but yeah. Yep. Then they go somewhere and try to find someone to help them. And if you haven't told them who they should go to, they might go to Reddit. Yep. They might go to the investment the new investment meetup, right? And who are they gonna find there? Maybe they'll get lucky. Maybe they'll find someone who's awesome. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll find someone who's a predator, right? Who is who is ready to take advantage of them. So um I don't like to leave that to chance. I I prefer
0: No, yeah. He, he- I would not want to leave, you know, my wife, uh, uh, her looking for someone to do this, to be, you know, in the YouTube comments of of some video that (laughs) was posted three years ago. I mean, that's
1: exactly it. But, you know, we, you know, those of us that are in the industry, we forget, you know, because we know so many people that are in it or we know, like, you know, does your family really even know that, you know, uh, Reddit exists? And, you know, are they going to, which, which Reddit forum are they going to, um, you know, does that matter? Who will they find to help them? You know, they're just, you don't want to kind of mess your family up with the politics and all the other things that, that go on because they don't care about that. Right. That they don't care about any of that. They care about.
0: Or even just something as, as simple as, you know, let's just say you have Bitcoin, Ethereum and Bitcoin cash on there and they end up sending. Bitcoin cash to a Bitcoin address or Bitcoin to an Ethereum address on a, on a separate wallet that you go, you know, send it to my Coinbase and then you can cash it out if you need to. And they send it to the exact wrong wallet. Now it's now your estate that you left to your family is, is gone. And with no reason,
1: like it doesn't have to be that way. Right. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of, you know, identifying people who can help who, you know, you know, ideally, ideally you'll you'll identify people who you know personally, who are, you know, good people, who share your values, who you trust, and and identify them to kind of help your family walk through it. And again, you know, you don't have to pay someone to do that. This isn't about hiring a lawyer. This is about practical, day-to-day stuff that will actually make a difference in in whether or not your family can access your your crypto assets.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a, a great point to to leave on. Was there anything else that that you wanted to kind of get across to the listeners as far as for, um, you know, estate planning or anything else that they should be thinking of?
1: Yeah, um, I just want to reiterate that, you know, you don't have to sit down and write a will and do all of these other things. It's a great thing to do. But if you don't have that, you don't have to do it today. But what you do have to do sooner rather than later, ideally today, when you're listening to this, um, go to Medium, go to my website, download some of the forms and start doing a a crypto asset inventory. Give your family some information. You know, if your family doesn't know that you have even a, a Gemini account or a Coinbase account, if they don't know or a Kraken account, if they don't know that you have that, they won't know to look for your assets there. So even if you are, quote unquote, trusting a third party with your assets, if they don't know who to ask, they won't go and ask. And eventually those assets will just you know, sit there forever. Um, there are simple things you can do like a crypto asset inventory that won't take you long at all. And it's not going to be perfect. And you're not going to have every single thing that you need, but you're going to give your family a bit of a roadmap, and something is better than nothing when it comes to this. Something is better than nothing. Um, the other thing I'd like to say is that I, I not only am interested in in inheritance planning, but I'm also interested in education and educating people about private keys and how this technology actually works. And so I offer legal workshops. I, I train lawyers and paralegals and law students. About this technology. And I often work with estate planning lawyers um, all around the world, actually, and help them kind of bridge the gap between the technology and the legal plan. If you have crypto assets, you need both a tech or access plan, like answering the question, how will my family actually access these assets? And then ideally, you'll also have a legal plan that will say, how do you want these assets distributed? and you don't you don't have to have the legal plan in order to start with a tech plan. So I really encourage you to just start with a tech plan today. If you know a lawyer who needs to know about this, which uh, I get contacted a lot uh, by people saying, "Hey, you know what? I've got this lawyer, um, and they're doing this other work for me, but they don't know anything about Bitcoin or they don't know anything about Ether. They don't know anything about any of these these um, assets. Can you work with them?" And the answer is yes. And so uh, if you know lawyers who need this education, I'm having a legal workshop in Chicago uh, on October 26th, and it's targeted just for lawyers. They can get continuing legal education credit uh, by attending, and you can meet other lawyers and law students and learn the, the reality about this technology. Um, I don't teach the law because lawyers know how to find the law. <laughs> um, it, it, in the workshop, I teach about, um, you know, immutability. And we talk about how, you know, Bitcoin addresses never die. You can't close it like a, like a bank account. We talk about the DAO and um, the Ethereum fork that split Ethereum and and classic and how that happened and why it happened and and all of that sort of stuff and what the re- what the real result was for people who are holding, you know, these crypto assets or cryptocurrencies. So, if you know someone who who wants to, you know, needs that education, uh feel free to have them sign up. Um I'm also doing a couple of other events in Chicago uh August 29th. I'm doing a free event for real estate professionals. And this is actually sponsored by a title company, which I think is bold. Um, I ha, Have you done anything about real estate yet? Have you looked at that use case? Uh,
0: uh, just a, a, a few articles in passing and just kind of thought experiments with myself on how that would all uh, pan out. I, I think it's one of the real cool ideas about how, you know, blockchain and titles can, can work. Um,
1: yeah. So, you know, it's it's one of the the applications that most lawyers see really easily is like, you know, quote, low hanging fruit, because, um, you know, your title search effectively, all it is, is going through a ledger. (laughs) You're looking at a ledger that records who was the buyer and who was the seller. And they call them the Grantor Grantee Index. And in most places in the US, they're still musty, giant books. And, you know, if you want fun on a weekday afternoon, go down to your recorder of deeds and tell me you want to take a look at the Grantor Grantee Index. Um, okay, maybe don't do that. Uh, but you can look at these, at, at these books and trace the provenance of real estate and effectively what title insurance does for the most part. Is ensure that there aren't any gaps that you are actually buying from the person who legally owns the the property? and the blockchain quote unquote the blockchain um is effectively a ledger. And so if we have an immutable ledger that we can all trust and it's public, then we don't need a title company to go through and insure against risk because there is no risk because we can see who owns at any given time. So, most people care about this because if you if you bought a house, you probably paid somewhere between four hundred and a thousand dollars for title insurance, <laughs> and people are really excited about not paying that so um so yeah, so I'm gonna be giving a, a are you there? I'm here
0: Oh, sorry, I don't know what happened. It just dropped you,
1: yeah, it was like, I don't want to hear about this boring stuff <laughs> no,
0: no. I was sitting there, and then all of a sudden, your name just disappeared, and I was like, "Oh, oh no!"
1: Yeah, I, I, I didn't notice it. So, um, so where, where were we?
0: Uh, we dropped off. You were saying we were talking about uh, mutability of the ledger for property, real estate, and then you're right as you were saying, you, you, you don't need a. Um, You don't need a title Title. company
1: well so one of the things that people are most excited about with this technology is not having to pay the anywhere from 400 to a thousand dollars plus for your title insurance policy when you buy a house and the reason that you wouldn't have to pay that is because you wouldn't need someone to go through all of those books and establish provenance because the blockchain will do that for you in a way that you know requires two or three clicks
0: yeah, no, when we were buying our house, that was always kind of like one of those things where it's like there's got to be a better way. Right. <laughs> like- and then then you know, when you're closing, you go to the title company and they basically just kind of say, yeah, the the people who own this house own this house and and I understand, but but at least with the idea of how blockchain could work would be, you know, if you actually hold that the digital asset version of that physical property, then there'd be no need for any kind of checking cuz any any transfers would just be you know quick within a second or two yes. of looking back through the history of that transaction. Whoever holds that. But one of the issues I was I, I, I thought about was like what happens if even with estate planning right and let's just say you have a digital title to that property mm-hmm. uh, if it if it's a public blockchain and let's say somehow someone was able to get the private keys in and, and steal that digitized version of the title of your property yeah. Um, and and they now have that but it's technically legally left to let's just say my children you know they're living on the property like how does that how does that work or would that have to be something more we'd be talking about some sort of uh, uh private blockchains or some sort of like ethereum type of deal where you know you could keep you know I, I, that's one of the things where i'm i'm trying to figure out how that would work in terms of theft of those, those digital assets? Well,
1: you know, I, I haven't given this exact question a ton of thought, but, um, a couple of things that you could do using Bitcoin, um, for example, uh, you could create a multi-signature where you needed, you know, more than one signature in order to transfer. And that's a, a nice, um, delusion of power, right? So that you, you can dilute the, the single key power so that if, you know your your computer gets hacked. You're not immediately losing title. You can also create a, a time delay. You can lock um, transactions using time lock. Uh, you can also create um, you can also create all sorts of of advanced transactions that have uh, layered signatures. So you could say, okay, well, you know, my family needs two of these three to come together to transfer, but uh, you could, after a year, my lawyer and my spouse could come together themselves and transfer it or after X period of time. So you can actually create all sorts of, um, of scripting conditions. Um, you can encumber these, these transactions in lots of different ways. And we haven't seen any of that play out in any meaningful way in any wallets yet, but I think we will. And I think we will soon. So um, the sort of... Um, locking the 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 title for example you could easily lock the title for a year but you could unlock it if x y and z happened does that make sense
0: yeah no that that makes that that makes perfect sense
1: and so that's one way to do it on an open public blockchain you know i, th- I think that you you have the same issue with a private blockchain where you know if someone gets hacked they can move things the only difference is that with a private blockchain um, the powers that be can undo the transaction, right? And I kind of feel like, well, <laughs> wh- why, why do we need to, re- like, we already have that system, right? Um, we don't.
0: Yeah, it's just kind of digitizing yeah. what we already have. It's not really that yeah, much. Yeah, and money. like,
1: you know, okay, that's fine, I guess, but why do something halfway when you can totally change things in a, in a, in a substantive way that solves a lot of the problems of the existing system? So one of the really quickly, I know we're running out of time, but um, one
0: no no rush. At one all. of
1: the um, I, I I grew up in the Detroit area, and I went to law school in in Michigan. And one of the problems that this that this technology can solve with real estate is that there's a lag between the closing and the recording in the official documents. Right. So when you closed on your house, you had a paper deed. And what happened afterwards is someone, probably not you, went down to the county clerk or whomever the recorder of deeds is and gave them a piece of paper. And when they got that piece of paper, they stamped it received and then they put it in an inbox. (laughs) And then whoever is supposed to go into those musty books, um, they are supposed to go and then physically record the information from the deed into the books. You with me? Yep. Okay, so during the financial crisis in Detroit, what happened was the recorder of deeds, I believe, was so understaffed that they got about three months behind. So their inbox was filled with three months worth worth of deeds. What that meant is that people were selling their houses. People took advantage of this delay. People were selling their houses two, three and four times to different buyers because it takes about, you know, 30 days to, to 30 to 45 days to close in most jurisdictions. But the recorder of deeds was three months behind. So they would have a closing on Monday for their house. then they would have a closing on Wednesday with a different bank and a different buyer. Then they would have a closing on Friday with a different bank and a different buyer. And so they were effectively selling the same property three times because of the lag. So in the inbox, there were three different deeds. But when the title company did the search in the, in the records and the actual books, it still showed the original owner owned the property. Wow. Yeah. And so people were... Yeah, I mean, you know, banks lost a ton of money. People lost a ton of money. People who had already sold their homes and thought that they had closed on a house found out that, guess what? You're not the real owner because there was a lag in, in recording. And so what this technology does... By taking the transaction and combining the transaction itself with the recording on the ledger, you eliminate that lag time. So you eliminate that from happening totally by using this technology.
0: And there's there's I
1: think that's really cool.
0: Yeah, And there won't there won't be the 30 day delay or whatever. It would be the not necessarily instantaneous, but depending on the blockchain that you were building this on you know, in the case of like Bitcoin within 10 minutes there, you know, there wouldn't be. And so I guess the way to, uh, to, to avoid being having a house sold to you that that person no longer owns or whatever, you just have to look at your watch for 10 minutes and go, okay, now we know that you didn't just sell this 10 minutes, you know, in in between while we were talking or something. And I, yeah. Yeah, And I mean, it's a really, really cool application
1: realistically, the closing is going to take longer than an hour anyway, right? So if you're selling a house, you'd probably want, if you're using Bitcoin, you'd probably want to wait an hour, maybe even two. So you can, you know, do the transaction, make sure everything is good, put a couple hour delay on it and call it a day. You can see it in the in, in the mempool and make sure that it's, it's good to go. And then effectively, once it's confirmed, wait six, eight, ten confirmations, and then you don't have to worry about it.
0: That would actually be pretty exciting to uh, at, at closing. Just be uh, scanning somebody's QR code on their phone or whatever for a uh, for, right? for payment transfer for for the house, yeah,
1: right? I mean, that would be great.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's uh, any well, you know, any elimination of friction in a system uh, usually leads to you know savings, you know, for the people participating in it, which is always good for for everybody. Not necessarily all always, but the more friction you can eliminate, the better.
1: Well, yeah, and and arguably, for people who don't understand the process, you know, most people don't buy tons of houses, right? So the repeat players are the ones who can take advantage of all of the uh, little anomalies, all the quirks of the system. So I I like closing those sorts of loopholes. (laughs) I think that you know it it makes outcomes for everyday people better when we can close those sorts of loopholes.
0: And that—that's what you know is exciting about this space, and not that blockchain has an application for everything under the sun that's been proposed but I, I think that it yeah. has some real applications that have some real you know uh, I shouldn't say real real world but real world effects that will be net positive on society and that's you know really really what excites me about this space is is kind of just the discovery process of where does this fit where does this not fit and then you know where do we go from here
1: yeah me too me too couldn't agree more
0: but I wanted to thank you uh, for being you know, with us today. It was really wonderful to talk. I, like I said a couple of times, you know, I was like, I hadn't thought of this or thought of that. And uh, I, I know that uh, myself and, and the listeners have learned a lot. And I'll have the links to all your sites, to your social media, uh, as well as a link to your book, uh, which everyone involved in crypto should, should head over and buy. Uh, and so what's the best way to get a hold of you if someone's you know, trying to contact you with a question?
1: You can reach me on Twitter at Pamela, J-D, pamelaw jd p a m um, e l a w j d. or you can reach me on my website at empoweredlaw.com. There's a contact form. it's easy to reach me. I'm happy to help. So definitely do reach out. And uh, one thing I want to say, uh, my book is available in ebook and print. If you buy the print, you get the ebook for free. And if you like audiobooks, I'm thrilled to tell everyone that um it's not me who's reading the book, but it is uh, Stephanie Murphy from Let's Talk Bitcoin. And I don't know if you're familiar with Stephanie's voice. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah. Oh, she's like, her voice is velvet. Um, she's a professional voice actress and it is fantastic. So if you like audiobooks, books, um, I'm, I'm super honored that Stephanie agreed to, to do the audiobook, And so that's what you'll find. You can also see samples and listen to samples of the work for free uh, on Amazon. Um, and again, you can find the, the crypto asset um, inventory and your letter to loved ones templates on my website at Empowered Law.
0: Well, perfect. Th- thanks again for uh, for coming on and letting everyone know. Thanks.